Be confident, be bold, be authentic, but don't forget to take action. This is Ordinary to Badass, where our stories empower women to step into the spotlight of their own lives and pursue what they're truly passionate about. It's time to step into the arena and become more than just extraordinary. It's time to become a badass with your host, Marie Sonneman. This is episode 19 of the Ordinary to Badass podcast. In this episode, I talk to Ian Murphy. Ian is the owner of Moxie Bookkeeping. We talk about being a stepmom, not doing everything on your own, and having to get a permission slip to go to school. Yeah, you heard that right. You are not going to want to miss this episode. But first, are you a part of the O2B newsletter? How about the Ordinary to Badass Facebook community? These are two ways which you can connect with Ordinary to Badass and other badass women, or men who are appreciative and supportive of the badass women in their life. Our Facebook group is growing and it's so much fun. Everybody is so encouraging and supportive in there. I would love for you to be a part of it. And as for the newsletter, I send out a weekly newsletter about all things badass. Sometimes there's a theme, a theme of the month. And other times, it's all about life. I would love for you to check it out. Go to OrdinaryToBadass.com and sign up today. Now, let's get to the show. Welcome to Ordinary to Badass. Whether you're ordinary or badass, I'm glad you're here. Today's guest is Ian Murphy. Ian, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So first off, before we go any further, I have got to ask you, do you consider yourself to be ordinary or badass? I don't think I would be here if I thought I was ordinary. <laughs> uh, I definitely uh, think that I'm a badass. I might think that I'm a bigger badass than I really am. Um, and in fact, when we uh, post positions for our company, we describe them as we're, look, we're looking for kick-ass people. So oh, I, I like it. lines quite well. Yes. So have you always felt like a badass or felt like you liked the kick-ass in life? Oh, good. No, good question. Um, I was a very shy, I mean, I'm, I'm still kind of an introvert, um, which is always really funny because I feel really comfortable, you know, talking to people right. in these sorts of situations. Um, yeah, I just, I was a very, you know, I was a big reader and very quiet and very indoorsy because if, you know, if it's the sun looks at me, I burn. Um, <laughs> So it took me a little while, but I think, you know, somewhere in high school, I started to figure out, like, I don't really have to do thing anybody else's way but mine. Um, and we may get more to this later, but there was a pivotal moment in my 20s where I, um, you know, I think I, I sort of always approached life with uh, the best defense is a good offense. Mm -hmm. um, and I had an older sister who, you know, had a lot of male friends who uh, were really, really nice to me and like roughhoused with me, but always made it seem like I was like totally hurting them. So I think I also <laughs> got a little bit of a like extra bravado from that. Nice. Um, but I actually took a, a women's self-defense course that um, is a unique kind. It's not martial arts. It's the guy in the big padded suit. And so you're actually 
because I'd taken martial arts too, that's actually full force. Mm. Um, and, and the other main, well, there's a couple major differences from, from martial arts. One is, um, you know, a martial arts is sort of agreed upon combat and everybody knows what's going to happen. And this is not that scenario because as you're practicing your blows, the man inside the suit is saying really horrible, scary things to you. And so it's super adrenalizing. Yeah. Um, it was a really tough class. Um, and, but they also did a whole section on when, the, when there is no physical danger and you're just dealing with people you know, like just setting a clear boundary with a coworker or a relative, that, yeah. was, that was mind-blowing. Like that was way harder for me than um, hitting somebody in the throat. Right. <laughs> so how did you feel walking out of there? I felt, I mean, I felt transformed. Um, and and I, it actually, I went on to then teach that class for decades. because Oh, it, awesome. It changed the way that I dreamed, which I thought was a really unusual. You know, I sort of went in looking for a plan B. But again, I, I sort of, view, you know, I'm tall, I'm loud, I viewed myself as a badass, but I really didn't have anything concrete to back that up. Um, and hence the best defense is a good offense. And after that class, it just, it like pulled my shell into this really solid core and, and allowed me to really soften on the outside, um, which was oh, that's amazing. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And like completely shifted my definition of, what being a badass felt like for mm. me no longer felt like I had anything to prove. You know, if people would people men, <laughs> if people would say something to me on the street that was disgusting or inappropriate or whatever, I just could kind of like look at them and assess like you're, you're gross, but you're no threat. Mm-hmm. And it just, it just changed everything for me. So that was the moment where I, when I fundamentally knew, um, Oh, you know what? I actually, I'm going to reach over on my wall and pull something off here. I'm going to show it to you. None of your <laughs> listeners are going to be able to see this, but this actually came from uh, the 2003 number one ass kicker. They, one of the women in the class made little ribbons for all of us. Nice. And it says multiples on it because it was an advanced class where we did multiple assailants and actually fought six people at once. So, so yeah. I love too that you still have that. And it's up there as a reminder, like I'm the number one ass kiss- kicker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not kisser. <laughs> so, Anne, can you share with us a little bit about you, like a short bio so we can get to know you a little bit better? Sure. Um, so I uh, was born in California, Northern California, grew up on Stanford campus because my mom was going to school. Um, she later became a pediatrician. My father is a jazz musician from the East Coast. His parents were both from New York. So I went to college uh, in New York and immediately felt at, at home in ways that I hadn't really in California. And I lived in Brooklyn for 30 years and um, just this last year have become bi-coastal. Oh. Um, so where are you at now? You said you're bi-coastal. Yeah, the right now, in this moment, I'm actually in Northern California in the gold country where all of the wildfires were just happening. And thankfully, none of them came by me here. Nice. And can you dive in what you do for work? Yes, I own my own business. Um, and it is a bookkeeping and cash flow management firm. We work primarily with um, creative businesses and service businesses. Yeah, just helping how long, keep them. How long have you been doing that? <sighs> About 30 years. The business has been around since 2003, and I was a freelancer before that. So, and What got you into that field? 
Uh, well, I graduated from college in New York and I you had a liberal arts degree and zero marketable skills. Um, and I sort of happened into bookkeeping. A friend of a friend of mine hired me to just be her receptionist and answer the phone and she didn't have a computer. And um, I sort of helped get her all organized on that. And I realized how much I just love bookkeeping. I mean, A, it was such important information for me that I didn't really have, you know, so it was a very steep learning curve in terms of financial literacy and how to handle money and what a budget looks like and all of these things that uh, were sort of missing from my personal life and are actually missing from a lot of people's lives and a lot of small businesses. But there was also something so calming about there being only one right answer. <laughs> and if it was wrong, you just looked until you found it and then it was right again. Right. So I believe you said the number one ass kicker thing was dated 2003 and you also started your business in 2003. Were those at all yeah. related? I'm sure that they were. I'm 100% sure that they were. Yes. Um, so the, the business actually started in 2003 because I hired my first employee. That was what took me from being a freelancer to being a business. Um, but absolutely, I think without, without knowing how to manage adrenaline, without knowing how to negotiate emotionally difficult situations, I don't think that I would be able to be an employer with the same level of comfort that I, that I do. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about your wins. Can you share with us what you were most proud of accomplishing? I mean, I think, I think it would have to be running my own business. You know, I've got 10 people that work for me and that's awesome. It's, yeah, it's awesome. It's hard. Um, but it's awesome. And it's, uh, you know, again, I have a lot of money baggage from growing up. Um, and it took me a really long time to feel okay about being a boss. And, you know, one of those shifts was realizing that I'm able to provide the workplace that I wished that I'd had. Oh, that's so, cool. So, you know, we do a lot of flex hours and, you know, most people work remote and a lot of the people that work for us have um, other things going on in their lives. You know, they're musicians or their parents or both. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I, I love, I love my little work family. Um, and I really love being able to make those decisions with what happens with my efforts and with my money for myself. Yeah. So you said that you had a lot of money baggage growing up. How do you go about overcoming that? Or did you do anything to try to fight that? Um, did I do anything to try and fight that? I don't, I don't think that I did. I mean, I think that I, um, you know, did talk therapy in my 20s and 30s and 40s <laughs> to varying degrees of success, but that's not the same. There's limits to uh -huh. that. And um, I think being a bookkeeper was really the thing that moved me through a lot of that uh, fear and baggage because I just didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. And that slowly learning how simple numbers can be and seeing how it worked in other people's businesses and other people's lives and then helping them affect positive change. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely a kinesthetic learner. I have to do something a couple of times to mm -hmm. really get it. Yeah, I can um, relate to that. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that was what, you know, that was what it was. It was just a slow, a slow learn of like how money works. Right. So You've been in business for yourself for 16 years. What is something that most people don't know about what it took to accomplish that? Um, 
I think, I think most people don't know the connection to the self-defense. That's not something I talk about a lot with my clients. Mm -hmm. I think that anyone that owns a small business is fully aware of the struggles that any business owner or even freelancer has about, you know, really just putting in the effort one foot at a time and, um, you know, not being overly attached to the result, like know where you're heading, but also just give yourself time to get there. And yeah. And earlier you mentioned that you try to have the business that, that you would like to work for. Um, what are things that you do for your employees or you do to make it a, a good environment? Uh, we actually give everyone a personality test when they come on board with us. And so some of that is trying to meet people where they're at, you know, what is your communication style? Um, just so that if you're someone that, you know, really likes a lot of detailed explanation, I want to make sure that we're giving you a lot of detailed explanation. If you're someone that's like, please don't micromanage me, I've got it, I'll get you the result you want, then I know that that's where I can start with you and just be really clear about the result and kind of back off until you've got a question. So that's, I think that's really helpful. It's, you know, so much company culture um, is either just a carbon copy of the founder um, and I'm sure I made that mistake for a while. Or it's, you know, following the best advice given to you by an MBA or a CPA or somebody that's really corporate and not necessarily small business. And I think that small business really is its own special little swimming pool. So in 2003, when you jumped into starting your own business, did you know all the answers or did you figure it out as you went? I knew none, none of them. I mean, I think at that point I knew... I knew small business because I'd been working with small businesses and nonprofits for a while. So I was really clear on how to do things. Um, but one of the, one of the things that led us from just being from a sort of transactional onsite, let's handle your paperwork bookkeeping company to the sort of advisory cash flow. Let's let you do some of the work and we'll just double check you and be here to support and train, et cetera, was that a lot of the small businesses we worked with, had questions about like, okay, so now my books are balanced. Now what do I do? Like, can I afford to hire an assistant? Can I afford to get a new printer? Can I afford to move to a larger office? And I would always kind of be like, I, uh, I'm just your bookkeeper. I don't know, you know? Um, <laughs> right. And so I don't like having questions I can't answer. <laughs> yeah. So I began to, you know, study and read. And uh, there's a fantastic organization that's based out of New York called Lebo, the Workshop in Business Ownership that is a 16 week small business boot camp, And I think they actually recently moved online, which is great. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just Weibo.org. And, and that really sort of like talked about the whole life cycle of a business, like marketing sales, that those are actually two different things, how that ties into the finances, you know, what to look for, um, cash versus accrual, you know, how you should price, what margins are, all these sorts of things that, that, sort of fleshed out the knowledge that I had because I had no classical accounting training. You know, mine was all learned by doing and getting the support of some really amazing accountants around me. And I just realized that that was what I really loved was that, you know, the demystifying the financial stuff to small business, especially creative people who don't always feel that comfortable with numbers. Yeah. Um, and I really like what you said, like, it, you don't like to know the, or you don't like not knowing the answers to things. And I think from a customer point of view, you'd rather somebody who either has the answers or to say they don't know, or, but this is a good resource for you. You know, everybody likes to feel like they, I don't know. I just feel like it's helpful in the customer's eyes. 
to, to feel like you're having answers. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I have no shame about saying, I don't know. Right. Um, but if you can well, point them in the right direction. Or sometimes helpful. I point myself in the right direction. Sometimes <laughs> I'm like, I, let me, I'm just going to go Google this really Google. quick while we're on the phone because I have to know now. You know, so unless it's a compliance, that's where I draw the line is I don't do compliance, right? right? I don't do the law. That's what your CPA is for. They're the ones that are, you know, stay up to date with all of the ever-changing insanity with the laws. I just really focus on the internal management. You know, what do you do? Are your books telling you the story that you want them to be telling? Right. And thank goodness for Google. Right. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about your struggles. Tell us about a time when you gave up, but now you wish you wouldn't have. Such a good question. I, I feel like I'm the kind of person that gives up before they start or doesn't give up at all. I would so much rather crash and burn in a blaze of fiery glory than give up. You know, I'm a little bit like a pit bull in that way. I just, I lock on I, and there it is. Um, so, but, but for sure, there are things that I look at and I go, yeah, that's not gonna, I'm not even going to start that because I don't think I can finish it. So one of the things I've actually challenged myself to do this year in the next 12 months, so until October, 2020 is uh, to raise $10,000, which is an insane amount of money to try to raise, um, for us, a, a community development project happening in a little tiny village in Tanzania. Oh, that's um, cool. That my, my aunt and uncle, my, my uncle passed away. See if I can tell this in a shorter story than what's in my head. My uncle and aunt love to travel. He went to go safari. He is an extreme extrovert, made best friends with his guide, ended up getting invited back to the village, kept in touch, ended up coming back and being invited to the wedding, da 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 da. So when my uncle passed several years ago, my aunt uh, started a nonprofit in his name to help Jackson's village. And so she goes back every couple of years and builds water catchments and built a new school. And um, they're the only source of funding for the village. They're the only non-governmental aid organization there. So it's really cool. I'm planning to go on site with her um, in October and I'm doing this crazy big push to try and help raise money for the village. That's so cool. How can we find out about that? Like, is there a website or something people can go to? There is a website. I believe if you just Google, there we go again, good old Google, (laughs) uh, the Barry A. Murphy Fund. It probably is just BAM or uh, B-A-R-R-Y. Okay. U-R-P-H-Y dot org something. It'll be there. I can also send me the link. Send it to you. Cool. Sounds good. I don't like not having that answer. (laughs) (laughs) So can you share with us a story about one of the hardships you have faced to get to where you are now? Absolutely. Uh, This is a story that I have only recently become comfortable telling in the last like year or so. And that is that in my 20s, I filed for bankruptcy. And again, that's not great marketing for a bookkeeper. (laughs) So it took me a really long time to kind of get over that. Um, You know, I think that obviously we all come to the work that we do for a reason. And that was sort of part of part of my financial literacy journey. Um, and, and what had happened was, you know, again, I have parents that sort of raised me to be psychotically independent. You know, you can do whatever you want, but you got to do it alone. And so when I, I moved out at 15 and, you know, got to work, got right down to it, you know, didn't really think anything of it, but because I had no foundation for how to understand how money worked, I didn't realize that I was under earning. 
And I didn't realize that I was under earning so substantially that that life was never going to be okay. And I just couldn't read any of the signs in front of me. And so, you know, even though I was working two jobs, working seven days a week, bartending, waitressing, you know, that every time a roommate would skip out on rent or, you know, a phone bill or whatever, or I was sick or changed jobs or moved apartments, I kept slipping backwards until I had, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of debt that was all groceries, gas, and medical. And, you know, at one point I remember uh, trying to borrow money from my mom, which of course the answer to that was <laughs> no way. Um, and her, her response was to tell me to go get food stamps. And I was a little bit shocked by that uh, because my personal belief system uh, puts forth the idea that doctors' childrens should not be the ones accessing food stamps, that those are people you know, who don't have parents with resources. And I just had parents who were unwilling to share resources. So, you know, so that was, a, that was a big blow to my ego. But again, I didn't have the information to see that as like a desperate warning sign until finally my sister sat down with me and was just like, you're either going to be paying this debt off for the rest of your life, or you can take this legal way out. But I felt totally defeated when that happened. I felt like I'd failed, you know, which is in retrospect, a little weird that I felt so much loyalty to, you know, if I want to be extreme about it, we can think of as my corporate pressers, you know, who I had paid that debt back several times, but because of the interest that was adding in there, I was never going to get out from underneath it. And so, you know, again, sort of reframing things a little bit and realizing that it was really not a personal failure. It was that I was in a imbalanced situation. And, you know, and at the time, my, my deal with myself was, um, you know, you get one, you get one free and, and I will never be in debt again. And I, I haven't. So. so great. Such a great story. So for the woman that is either just filed for bankruptcy or is slipping and struggling, what is one tip that you would give her? Oof, one tip. I mean, I think the tip is start small, you know, because I think there is, and this is, this is also sort of my personal crusade in, in business financial education, which is I feel like so many of the business books and so much of the traditional wisdom does not apply if you're not earning enough. You cannot pay yourself first if you, if you aren't earning enough. And that's a real conundrum, you know? So, so what I would say for people who are in their own businesses um, you must charge a sustainable amount of money. If you undercut your services too much, you're just racing to go out of business faster. Yeah. And I feel like that can be a hard thing for women, um, feeling like they can charge more, um, and be worthy of that. Um, yeah. have you had any personal struggles with that? Yeah, I don't know that I would, I mean, yes, I don't know that I would think of them as not thinking of myself as worthy, but I think there's probably some of that in there. Uh, my thing was always, I really wished someone had shared this with me. And I, I know that often the people who need the most help are the people who can least afford it. Um, and so I had a tendency to, to say, here, take my oxygen mask. You know, instead yeah. of saying, well, listen, I got to keep my oxygen on. 
but let me tell you how to get oxygen for yourself. Um, and it was only, again, once I really realized that if I give you my oxygen, then I won't breathe anymore and I can't be of service to anyone else um, that helped sort of balance that for me. And, you know, it's become sort of a strategic choice at this point of, you know, when I have excess, then I can choose to do pro bono work, volunteer, donate, etc. But until my obligations are met, especially now that I have employees, I need to be really conscious of um, how I expend my energy, time, and money. Which is really funny or almost seems like ironic or full circle because it's almost like what your mom said to you. Like she had to have her oxygen mask and then and take care of herself and you had to learn to take care of yourself. Kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, for sure, this, from this side of things, um, you know, I'm 49 now. The world looks very different to me than it did when I was 29 Absolutely. or 19. Yes. And, uh, you know, my mom is a total badass as well. <laughs> I love um, <laughs> You know, she, she went back to medical school when I was two and my sister was four. And that was in the early 70s. And she actually had to get a permission slip from my father. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And he, Crazy. of course, because thankfully he's a feminist, wrote this scathing letter to the Stanford admissions policy being like, how dare you ask me for permission? Like, my wife right. is her own person. And why would you? Anyways, so, yes. That's you cool. Know, <laughs> it's super cool. Right. Um, so, you know, so for sure, I'm, I you know, I saw her really struggle with being a working mom and, you know, being in school full time and being on call on the holidays. And um, I know that she had a lot of uh, struggle and guilt around that. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, and it was painful at times, but at, at this point and for a fair amount of time now, I would say I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that for the world. It right. is so much more important to me to have a mom that is, um, you know, out there boldly breaking barriers. Yeah. You know, she, she and her friend actually uh, started the part-time program at Stanford. She and another married mother said, we can't do the residency program full-time. We're going to split it. And it was the first time that had been allowed. And so again, just, you know, stuff happens and, and, you know, just to be able to, to have that as something that feels doable is so like what an incredible gift and yes for sure more important than money like wish yeah. there wish there had been a little more education in there but but that's my desire you know not right. hers and right and yeah being her where she's at yeah that's so cool so you talked a little bit about your mom having a little some guilt at times um you told me before the show that you're a stepmom and that you're married have you ever had any struggles with societal norms whether it be um for being a mother or um Anything related to marriage? No. Okay. I'm actually on my, no. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing I'm wrong my, with that. <laughs> I'm on my second marriage. Um, okay. I was married. I didn't get married till I was 30. Um, and I, I, I got married in a fit of romantic peak. It was not a good partnership. He's a lovely human, but a terrible partner. And I'm stubborn enough that, you know, that it, it took me 13 years to feel like, okay, I've like literally checked every box. I've tried every strategy and now I'm done. Um, and I had chosen to be child-free. I had never planned on having kids. 
Um, so, so when I met my current partner, and we've been married about two years uh, and together about four now, it was um, unexpected to to suddenly have a family. But my stepdaughter is so cool. Yeah, <laughs> she's so great. Um, her biological mother, you know, really made room for me in a way that I think is somewhat uncommon. Um, you know, she was just so strong and generous and communicative and like really um, made my life easy and made it a smooth transition for all of us. So I think that it's hard on the stepmom side of things. It can be super hard coming into a new situation. What did she do that allowed you to feel comfortable? Her, what did the stepmom? What sorry, did her bio mom do? Yeah, to allow you to feel comfortable. I think she just talked to me like I was a human being, you know. Yeah, and and shocking it that it's that low of a bar. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know she was really she was always really clear that whatever her issues were with my partner had nothing to do with me. Right. Um, she welcomed me into a couple of conversations around co-parenting. Like that's really strong, you know, to just say you're on the team now. Like let's all, yeah, let's all get on the same page. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. I think sometimes we struggle with those conversations or what to do and maybe make it more awkward than it needs to be sometimes, but just accepting somebody or listening to them or allowing them to be on the team. <laughs> it's, it's helpful. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine what it's like from the other side. But I can imagine some situations where, you know, if you feel like there is a person who has not done you right, it would be very hard to assume, for me at least, that whoever else they had on their team was going to do me any better. And I don't know how she felt. Um, And I think this is the thing I really appreciate her because it's one of the things I really try to do is it doesn't really matter how I feel. It matters how I act. And the fact that she chose to be classy about it was just amazing. Right. And I mean, I've been a stepmom before, so I can kind of relate. But uh, I also think it's not a competition. It's not about who's better than the other person. It's just about what the kids need. Yeah. So let's switch and talk a little bit about mindset. Yeah. Tell me about your mindset and how it has led to your badassery. Uh, Oh, yes. Um, so I'm, I'm just such a, I was just so born to be a bookkeeper. I am such an, a person of action. Like I, you know, having grown up in California, I was surrounded by a lot of the woo-woo stuff. And um, especially growing up in California in the 70s, there was a lot of talk that didn't really have any practical application. And I sort of fell out of love with a lot of uh, things that, of course, are truly really helpful and very good things to do because I didn't, I didn't see it working well for people, or rather, it it may have been working well for them, but they weren't people that I held in very high esteem. So when I approach, you know, and I think sort of a classic example of that would be something like a positive affirmation. And you know, in my opinion, if saying, you know, I'm rich, I'm beautiful, I'm tall, worked, we'd all be walking around millionaire (laughs) supermodels. So there has to be some action related to that and some acceptance of what is real and how we truly think about it. So I can't think myself into being taller or shorter. That, like, I just have to accept. This is where I am and it's totally okay. In terms of, like, you know thinking myself into being a millionaire or thinking myself into 
having different size feet or, you know, whatever the thing is I want to change about myself. You know, there are, you have to just put concrete for me anyways, I have to put in concrete steps to make that happen. So, so there was some article I once read that was like, for some people, positive affirmations can actually have the opposite effect because if your subconscious is not on board, then all you're doing is telling yourself that you're lying too. Mm-hmm. you know? So now not only am I, you know, broken, ugly, I'm a liar, <laughs> you know, and it just like <laughs> makes everything worse. So, uh, so, so, so a lot of it was about finding, finding the thing that I knew that I believed to be true. The things that I knew that I did love and appreciate about myself, the way I move through the world and my own body, which can be really hard sometimes, you know, and for me, if I start picking on myself about anything too much, I like stop and have to remember my body functions incredibly well. You know, I don't spend a lot of effort on my health and yet I am wildly healthy and that's amazing. Right. I mean, just even the fact just that I have a body is totally cool. Right. I mean, that's like, ah. and all the things that we can do and don't even have to think about, we just do it. Get a cup of coffee, stand up, cross the room. You know, even people with significant physical disabilities still have amazing bodies that are doing amazing things, you know? And in fact, I think uh, some of them, you know, I think that's why those stories come on the six o'clock news of the woman who paints with her feet or whatever, because you know, some people, the limitations really push them into excellence. And I think that could be true for far more of us than there are. Yeah. Um, so I, I just, that's the long way of saying I always approach the mindset from like, the only way to get my mind right is to, is to do the thing first. I will never have confidence until I act with confidence. I will never yes. feel good about doing something until I've been bad at it long enough that's now suddenly I practice enough that I'm not so bad anymore. Yes. Um, I love that. Failure is like so looked down upon or we beat ourselves up for just making a simple mistake. But yeah. like you said, you're not going to learn or get confident until you do it badly and figure it out. Right. Right. And yeah. And so there's, you know, there's a couple the mindsets in there are, you know, don't, don't beat yourself up about stuff that a doesn't really matter or B you can't change, you know? Yeah. And then, and then for the things that you can change, like, A, do you want to change them or do you feel like they should be changed? So, you know, I, um, like weight is an issue, right? For, I think most women that I know, and I'm over 200 pounds. And I love to say that out loud because I don't think that that's a number that a lot of women are comfortable with. And, you know, there definitely are times where I feel like I should care but I don't care. I really don't. Right. Cause, cause I'm healthy. That's and, exactly it. You know, like, and I'm healthy enough. It's not even right. Like just, you know, I, yeah, it's, it can be such a trap. So, you know, acceptance, figuring out why you care, then figuring out what you want to do about it, you know, and, and then being gentle with yourself as you go you know, because honestly, no, nobody cares about the bump in your nose or the mole on your ear or, you know, that one of your fingers is a different length than the other. Like, first of all, almost nobody notices that stuff. And then even if they do, F them, yes. you know? So and we are in the day, like the day and age for uniqueness and to have that celebrated and like, look at Cindy Crawford with her mole. I mean, everybody loves Cindy or that's what she's known for, you know, yeah. or like Owen Wilson with his bigger nose. But 
it builds character or gives them character, you know, right. I don't right. know, but we don't think of that for ourselves. We can see it for other people, but rarely think of it for ourselves. Totally. Yeah. So can you share one of your greatest mindset hacks for confidence and self-esteem? Yes. I think for me, it's, it's about finding, finding a small win because again, if I, you're a runner. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. So if I want to be a runner and I think I'm going to just, I'm going to do it. And I try to go out and run a mile. Of course, I'm not going to succeed. And not only am I not going to succeed, I'm going to hurt myself. And so if I'm giving my subconscious the evidence of, see, I told you, you can't do anything. You always fail. You're never going to be any good at this stuff. Then that is so detrimental on so many levels. But if I say, I am going to jog in place in my own living room for two minutes or one minute, then I can go like, that wasn't so bad. I could have done a little more. Great. Tomorrow, I'll do a little more. And just trying to keep consistent on that. That I think, you know, whatever it is, just finding that, finding that next baby step, that next right action that is achievable, that maybe doesn't even feel that satisfying because it was so easy, but was still moving you in the right direction. Um, and then yeah. for sure, for me, it's a hundred percent about gratitude. A hundred percent. I have to wake up every morning. And if I don't start my day, just by running through in my head on a good day or on a bad day, making myself write it out, you know, five to 25 things that I am truly grateful for. I I'll be kind of a jerk for the rest of the day without even realizing it. And it just really gets my head in the right place. How long have you done your gratitude practice for? Five years. And have you seen change in your life since doing it? Yes. I don't know if I've seen a whole lot of external change, um, but I feel very different. Very different. Which is what matters, what's going on inside and in your head, you know? Totally. That's the important <laughs> stuff. <laughs> right. So do you have a mantra or meditation practice? Um, I use meditation like triage. Like that, that's my go-to when I'm like, <laughs> it's like, yeah. I when when everything sucks, I'm like, I need to take 10 minutes. You know, I'll go find like Tara Brocker on YouTube and just, um, what was the name? Tara what? Tara Brock, I think is her name. Okay. I've never heard of her. T-A-R-A-B-R-A-C-H. She has a little meditation. I just have one, one of her meditations on my phone so that no matter where I am. Nice. If I need it, it's there. Right. Um, <laughs> so it's not, you know, it's, it's not consistent and I'm just, I'm someone that only does things when things hurt. You know, I only yeah. make change when it hurts. Like, I think like most of us. I so think a lot I don't of us have do that. A, yeah. I don't have a good consistent meditation practice, but okay, but cool. There. So let's switch and talk a little bit about tips to, to help other females out. If you could share one tip that you wish every female knew about, what would it be? That is such <laughs> the one thing I'm good at 20 <laughs> things. The one thing, um, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's the one thing. So good. Have you done that in your life? Constantly. Yeah. I think that that's so important. And once we can get comfortable with being uncomfortable, it just opens the doors for so many other things. Yep. Get out of and our it, own way. Yes. And it doesn't, I mean, you know, I feel like so many of these little like tips and tricks, you know, even that one, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Okay. I'll get comfortable with it and then it'll be good. It's like, no, 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 no. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's never going to stop being uncomfortable. Yeah. Just because you did the right thing doesn't mean it feels good, which is so hard to get around, right? We want to check yeah. the box and move forward. And so being like, ah, crap, I got to start all over again now? 
can be really hard, but like, that's, that's it. But I think that for me anyway, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable has helped me to keep being uncomfortable, like to keep growing. So it might sound cliche, but like, if you're not uncomfortable, you're not moving forward in life or progressing. Um, maybe there's an exception to that, but I, I just think if anything, it helps me to get over it, to move to the next one and feel uncomfortable with the next thing. I don't know if that's been true for you or. It has. I mean, again, I, I think that mine may not be such a um, clear series of steps. I tend to get comfortable with a thing and then get uncomfortable and have to like redo that whole comfort thing. Uh Um, I tend to learn the same lessons in a lot of different ways before I learn them. (laughs) I think that's a lot of us. (laughs) Yeah, I hope so. Um, I mean, I don't hope so, but I know so. Right, Um, right. Yeah, and and finding the balance between, again, it's, you know, it doesn't mean learn to live in misery. You know, it's, again, it's it's, um, just to stick with the, the running theme. You know, if you go for a good run, and I am not a runner, if you go for a good run, you'll feel that you used your body the next day but you shouldn't hurt. There's a difference between discomfort and pain. And right. it's, it's discomfort around a single notion or idea or moment, not that life should be uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about badass advice. And this is more going to be rapid fire um, ish. I'll do it again. I'll do it again. <laughs> ish. I say that loosely. <laughs> what was your what was your turning point for accomplishing your goals and becoming a badass? I think just making the decision, the decision that I, you know, that no one was going to do it for me. Nice. Do you have a morning or evening routine that you can share with us? <laughs> um, I, you know, the morning gratitude list for sure. My my favorite morning routine is my husband brings me coffee in bed, but that's not really anything that I do. <laughs> But I think that's about getting support, you know, this whole idea also, which we haven't really touched on at all, but this, you know, you cannot do it alone. Um, And that for sure is like a huge part of the support for me. Um, So, yeah. So let's dive into that a little bit. You can't do it alone. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. I mean, I think that was, that was the lesson that it took me 15 years to learn (laughs) is that it doesn't, it doesn't, there's only so much that I can influence. I can have the best intentions. I can have the best strategy. I can have all of the information, but unless uh, the structures around me are supporting those intentions and directions, it's going to be like trying to paddle against the current. And so, you know, trying to find that feeling of flow of my environment supports my intentions is a a thing of beauty and super important you know if all of your friends are saying well why are you doing that whatever the that is then you won't talk about it as much which means you're not getting support around it you know there's some oft quoted proverb on instagram you know if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far to go go together and i just you know to me it's like far is more than more than falling down on my face like that's really about the distance that i can go on my own Mm-hmm. Other than that, I, I need people around me. And that's such a hard uh, thing to admit in our culture. Yes. And I can relate. I mean, I have always felt like I can do it by myself and I'll figure it out and I'll get it done. But you don't move as far or as fast. Like you really do need other people. And in a sense, you're doing them a disservice by not leaning on them just as much as they lean on you. 
totally. Nobody wants to give you a birthday gift and have you be like, no, 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 no thanks. Right. right? Like, can you imagine having bought or baked someone a cake and then be like, no, I don't deserve <laughs> it. You know, just shut up and take the gift. Right. Um, gratitude, like you were saying. <laughs> gratitude, oh, show oh, gratitude. <laughs> but it is, it, you know, receiving is, is a, a kind of gift as well, you know, and, um, what was the other oft quote? You can do you can do anything, but you can't do everything. I can't remember who said that, but that comes in right. place too. You know, and and so true. You know, and it's it's just it's a tragedy that we feel like we should be doing things alone. There is yeah. no gold star for doing it by yourself. No right. gold star. Just make it tougher for yourself <laughs> and, and for the people around you, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Absolutely. What's one thing that you've learned from a woman in your life? Oh, I think, I think most of my great teachers have been women. Um, you know, I think my mom for sure modeled what it means to be a, a badass working woman with mm-hmm. a family to, to balance. Um, you know, my self-defense teacher who was a, I'm going to get her height wrong. She's like five foot two. She's a very like round stereotypical New York woman, you know, and she's a nice lady right. and she fights like a ninja. <laughs> And just like shocking because that imagery is never presented to us. Right. Um, And then, you know, and then every woman that ever came through my class taught me something. So I just, I, I feel so fortunate um, that I just feel like I've had really strong, amazing people in my life. Yeah. And Hey, one thing that I love is when people underestimate my abilities it's like, you can underestimate me all day long. Like it, it's not offensive to me. It just like pushes me even more. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. can you share a habit or a practice that has contributed to your success? Curiosity. Um, you know, not being happy with not having the answer, seeking out not just the right answer for me, but, but trying to understand right answers for other people too. Mm-hmm. And really having that rounded knowledge. Um, I love to read. I read all kinds of books all day long. Um, yeah, I just love learning. Okay, cool. And we'll get to some book recommendations in a minute. But first, what do you wish everyone knew about confidence and overcoming obstacles? You just have to do it. There, you know, you confidence is not inherent; it's earned. Yeah, and definitely a muscle you have to keep flexing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how often do you read and can you recommend a book and share why? Yes. Um, I read, I read all the time. I have my, uh, my New York public library app on my phone, um, which is great. I always have like three books on my shelf. Um, (laughs) the books that I recommend. So just to like wrap back to the self-defense thing, there's a book called the gift of fear written by a man named Gavin DeBecker. Yeah. It, it's a little intense. The, you know, the first chapter is a survival story. Um, but he really talks about the way that people who don't have our best interests use guilt and manipulation to get us to act in ways that we would have not have chosen on our own. And, um, you know, just the clear outlining of false promises and forced teaming and sort of defining what that means uh, is really useful, not just in, you know, stranger safety situations, but in personal boundary safety situations. Um, and then for business, you know, my two favorite business books are, well, sorry, my three favorite business books, (laughs) 
Getting Things Done by David Allen, which is a just amazing organization system for like catching multiple things in multiple ways and, and being effective without just having a to-do list that piles up on your head. Um, there's a book called The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber, classic. It's been out forever, just talking about sort of the three roles um, in every business, the entrepreneur, the, the manager, and the craftsperson, and how we kind of like to fight with each other on that, even if it's just us. Um, and then uh, Profit First by Mike McCallowitz, which is the cash flow management book that um, we just swear by in my business, which is, yeah. I think it's sort of a business parallel to the Dave Ramsey money book, yeah. which I okay. haven't read, but. Yeah, no, I, I did a lot of the Dave Ramsey programs and I've heard of Profit First, but I've just never read it. So maybe I'll definitely check it out. Yeah. Um, so let's end with a tip to encourage women who are in the arena fighting for the life that they want and share how the audience can connect with you. My tip would be do one thing at a time and don't do it alone. So good. And then if you want to find me online, um, our website is moxiebookkeeping.com. Can you spell that? Oh, yeah. Thank you. M-O-X. <laughs> no, I just launched right into it. <laughs> Uh, moxiebookkeeping.com m-o-x-i-e b-o-o-k-k-e-e-p-i-n-g.com that's a jeopardy answer the only <laughs> word in the english language with three doubles nice. um we're on instagram at moxiebookkeeping we're on facebook but I, I like our website best that's where we spend the most time yeah awesome thank you so much ian you have been a total badass and i've enjoyed having you on the show Thank you so much. With that, we'll end our show. And to all the badass women out there staying in the arena, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, own it and get after it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the show. As a newer podcaster, I would be so grateful if you went over to iTunes and left a review. That way, people just like you can learn about the show and become a listener. Also, I would love for you to screenshot your review and send it to me over on Instagram at ordinary to badass. So that way I can make sure to thank you. I'm so appreciative of you. Talk to you soon, friend. Now that you've listened to this episode of ordinary to badass, we want to hear from you. Go to our website, ordinary to badass.com slash podcast and submit your own experience on how you took your life from ordinary to badass and get the chance to be on a future spotlight episode of the show. That's ordinary to badass.com forward slash podcast. While you're waiting for the next episode of the show, wipe off the sweat, dust off the dirt and get back in the arena.